1: Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D dot com. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy.
0: So I think while he's over there, I think I and many Americans are thinking to ourselves, okay, he's very concerned about those borders halfway around the world. He's not done anything to secure our own border here at home.
3: So there you have it, guys. Ron DeSantis, he's gearing up. Lots of activity, uh, Robert Gibbs, uh, on the part of uh, the governor. New book today, The Courage to be Free. Soon to be bestseller. With the subtle subtitle, Florida's Blueprint for America's Renewal. Huh, interesting. Is that, a, su- is that to get us to think? Hmm. I don't know, Amy Walter, sounds like a about as subtle as a fart in a spacesuit, as we <laughs> used to say.
2: It, it is clearly the blueprint for Ron DeSantis seems pretty clear. One, in the primary, position yourself as someone who can fight The woke wars effectively fire up the base in the same way that Donald Trump and those following in his footsteps have been able to do. And then in the general election, pivot yourself to the subtitle, which is the blueprint is in Florida. We have a good economy. We stayed open. I know how to get things done. Uh, I'm going to make America great again. And I have a track record. Uh, to do so. So to me, the biggest question right now for Ron DeSantis is uh, beyond the obvious of how he fares as a candidate, but just how smoothly can he make the transition from primary to general election candidate? And Donald Trump never tried to be a general election candidate, certainly not in 2020. Mm -hmm. He was never interested in trying to appeal to those people outside of his base. I think DeSantis and other candidates understand you got to win more than just the same Trump voters over and over again. You got to expand into those independents or swing voters, whatever we want to call them now. And, uh, that requires a pretty depth movement from primary to general election candidate, which obviously you guys know quite well because you have to do it all the time in campaigns.
1: An astute listener would realize that one of the questions Amy did not pose was whether Ron DeSantis is in and running for president. Oh, right, <laughs> and, right. right. He he's is in, uh, right. He's he's two feet in and uh, waiting until June after the legislature presumably goes out, uh, minimizing the amount of time he takes frontal assaults from uh his one-time buddy donald trump but uh, uh he new past steam florida citizen yeah a, a new pack that uh, is helping to uh pay for travels presumably uh a publisher is paying for some portion of a book tour so he's uh he's often running and barnstorming without necessarily being an
3: announced candidate yeah the the publisher is uh rupert murdoch and by the way you know it's interesting to watch uh now I don't know what else he's gonna do, but DeSantis' media book tour apparently is uh the the sum total of it is appearing in every day part on Fox News. Uh it's pretty narrow in uh in scope. My question is, you guys, you talk about making the transition, Amy. One of the one of the real traps in presidential politics I mean you can't be the you can't get elected president unless you're a nominee. Uh, but uh on the other hand, you can set yourself up in such a way that in becoming the nominee, you so mortgaged yourself to uh, some of the more extreme elements of your party that you can't make that pivot. A- and he's got to beat Donald Trump. So... uh the question really is, how does he do that? And can he, does he go so far down that road that he just can't ever get back?
2: Right. That was 2022 in a nutshell, right? Exactly. The candidates who were, were the Trumpiest won the primaries, and then they, they tried, but they couldn't transition back to general election candidate because of all the things they had either said in the primary or, for many of them, what they had said in their Past statements, you know, when they were recording themselves um as you know regular citizens saying a lot of this stuff, but um, yes, so for desantis it's interesting because we think about going through the meat grinder that is Donald Trump, and he is <laughs> not going to make life easy for any of these candidates. I am wondering though two things: one, whether DeSantis can continue to run as just the um scoreboard, right? Just, I'm going to point to the scoreboard and just spend all of my time on that, right? Okay, you want to talk about this? Fine. I'm going to talk about the fact that, you know, we do this, this, this in Florida. I'm the greatest Florida governor ever. I keep, all I do is win. uh, And they can sort of stay at that level, which of course is, is tougher. The other thing, I've been picking this up a little bit in talking to Republican voters. I know that some focus groups have picked this up as well. You talk to folks, Republicans in Florida, who like Donald Trump, okay? But they also really like Ron DeSantis. And one guy came up to me the other day and said, you know, my wife really loves Donald Trump, but she just hates the way that Trump is, like, being mean to him, right? And is, like, picking on him. And uh, Trump gets away with giving everybody their nicknames, you know, little and lazy and whatever other nickname." But in this case, I don't know that it works as well as it has in the past, in part because people really like Ron DeSantis. They didn't love Jeb Bush. They didn't know who Marco Rubio was. They didn't love Ted Cruz, right? So sort of mocking them and doing that typical, I'm going to just give you a nickname and make fun of your wife or attack your personal grooming habits. I don't know. I don't know if that doesn't rebound against Donald Trump.
1: The act is getting old, right? You're that's yeah, you're sort of especially saying especially when
2: they like the second guy. They don't dislike yeah. Ron DeSantis. They just don't right. know is Ron DeSantis going to be able to deliver for us what Donald Trump was. Not just the war against the establishment, yeah. but that he can win.
3: Yeah. We just we, we just we just did the uh, a focus group for the Institute of Politics in Peoria for this Bridging the Divide uh, program that we have at at the IOP. How's it playing down there? Well, (laughs) you know, they all like Trump. They're fine on Trump, but there wasn't a whole lot of enthusiasm. And and mainly it was some woman said, I really liked what he did as president. I just wish he wouldn't be such a baby on social media. And uh, so this speaks to what Amy uh, was talking about. That said... That said, you know, he still has a pretty firm hold on a significant portion, if not, not a majority, but a significant portion of the Democratic, of the Republican base. The Fox News poll this week, what was it, 42-28 or something like that? 43-28, I have it written down somewhere. Uh, but, um, uh, so he, you know, the question is, what is the irreducible core of Trump's support, uh, and I don't think Trump's going to grow. Right in this race, no. the question is how much will he shrink, and will that core be enough uh, to win? You guys, by the way, you mentioned Jeb Bush, sort of interesting. new endorser, right?
2: I don't know that I'd want an endorsement.
3: Well, this is my question. I like yeah. Jeb Bush. Okay, so let me. Yeah, just, no, no,
2: no. But if I'm a if I'm a Republican, that's exactly what I mean. As a well, Republican, well, the fact I mean, that I
3: like Jeb Bush is probably <laughs> representative of the fact that <laughs> this is not necessary. But I, you know, he was very quick to disavow the fact that he. You you could not listen to him, and conclude. And I wish we had the sound. We don't. But he was effusive about. DeSantis and the prospect of DeSantis, but he you know, quickly, after this thing got published and, and aired, turned around and said, hey, it wasn't an endorsement, I want you to know it wasn't an endorsement, and I'm wondering whether there wasn't a call from the governor saying, hey, uh, Jeb, you know, I really appreciate this, but <laughs> can you ease, ease off on the E-word here, because it ain't exactly helpful in this Republican Party.
1: Well, it's apropos to the the first question that that Amy posed, right, which is how are you ultimately going to bridge back to um, a strategy that allows you to gain swing voters? To me, there's a bit of of an important bank shot for DeSantis, and that is if he begins to look like the leader of this race, if he begins to look like he's assembling a coalition of people that is representative of a diverse Republican Party, granted, that's not going to work for you at CPAC. But I do think that where he's not going, by the way, where he's not well, it's smartly not going to get on Donald Trump's turf. But I think if you're Ron DeSantis, you are running a little bit of the George W. Bush strategy of wanting to have more and more people come down and kind of make you the not necessarily the front runner, but the presumed leader of the party and somebody that people can imagine. Oh, I get it. That guy could bring all of this together right we don't get the craziness on social media yeah. we don't get the the nastiness of of the name yeah. calling we get the some mature uh level of leadership. I'm going to get tons of tweets on just saying mature level of leadership around Ron DeSantis. But um but I think there's a there's a there's a play there for putting this together that I think does help him. That
3: is for sure. One of the things that is different from the Trump strategy is he isn't just sitting down in Florida. Uh like he he's just been on a tour. He was in Chicago or he's going to be in Chicago with the FOP there. A tour. Last week. Yeah. A, a tour of Big cities what he would call woke cities uh, to talk about supporting law enforcement against these crazy woke liberal schemes here's a little bite number five Jeff here's a little bite of him on that subject
0: for our country it's important to admit that these left-wing policies have failed They've empowered criminals. Mm-hmm. They've put uh, the public at risk. they put law enforcement officers at risk. And so I think that this, this experiment has concluded, uh, and we need to move in the direction where across the board from she- sea to shining sea, we have a commitment to respect for law enforcement and for law and order.
3: So really interesting. He went on a tour, I assume. I don't know who paid for it. Maybe his PAC paid for it. Yeah, there's a new PAC that's paying for it. Yep. But he, but he said on Fox, of course, that the whole purpose of the trip was for, or the main purpose of the trip was for him to say to law enforcement officers, say, you know, Florida is a great place to be a law enforcement officer. Why don't you come down to Florida? That's a bunch of BS. That's not what it was about. I mean, he, you know, what interests me is I thought he was following the George W. Bush strategy, the kind of like, I'm going to lay back here and I'm going to let people come to me. No. He's what he's signaling here with the book tour, with the book, with this uh, law enforcement tour, with this stepped-up media presence, talking about global and national issues. He's saying, "No, I'm going to campaign," and I guess maybe he feels he has to because Trump is actually leading this race.
1: Right. I don't think you can play George W. Bush. You you can't play the full George W. Bush at a point in which there's a a bigger person in the room. And I look, I, I. I, this has I think, been the crux of this for a couple of years, which is, is there somebody big enough and strong enough and savvy enough to take this from Donald Trump?
3: Yeah.
2: So let me ask you guys this question, because this is reminding me a little bit of 2008, where you have a frontrunner named Hillary Clinton, and then this up and comer who everybody liked and said, I don't know, can you really knock her off? How does this work? And that um, that's I, I'm curious if you agree with that and what sort of ways you guys had to position yourself against a well-known and well-liked member of the Democratic establishment who it was pretty clear early on had some weaknesses and how you did that without alienating everybody. Well,
3: well, first of all, I, there was one huge difference uh In that, uh, Hillary Clinton was was absolutely the choice of the of the Democratic Party establishment. She was absolutely believed to be the the nominee when we started the race, Uh, and Obama's campaign was against conventional political thinking writ large, Uh, and he ran that. You know, he basically ran his race against. Not just, you know, it wasn't against Hillary Clinton per se, but against sort of tired Washington thinking, against Republicans right. and Democrats beating each other, black and blue for uh, for political advantage, while the problems didn't get solved, and so on. it was it wasn't it was different. We weren't trying to compete with Hillary Clinton by being Hillary Clinton, right. Uh, and it seems to me that Ron DeSantis right now, I've said it before, I've said it a million times, but I love it so much I'm going to say it again. He is presenting himself as sort of methadone for Trump supporters who want to quit the habit. He gives them the same culture war high, but he's not as destructive to their political health. And, um, and, uh, and so in that way, it's quite different because he's swimming in Trump's lane in many ways. We, we, were, we were not doing that. Right, and and it's interesting because if you look at that, you mentioned the Fox polling,
1: David. Uh, there was a bit of a divide, right, between sort of college-educated Republicans, non-college Republicans. Um, it, you know, it seems to me that if we're looking at this, and you ask this question of, you know, can does does Trump ultimately have a big enough piece of the pie that if he loses some, he's still at the top of the heap? And it looks to me, if you look at that Fox polling and the Republican electorate, the ability for a DeSantis to grow inside of the lane or the, the electorate essentially that Trump owns seems to me much greater than Trump growing in the DeSantis electorate, right? And that's why I think you see the a lot of the, the visits to blue cities to call out uh, uh, wokeness or what have you. Uh, and, and I think he's clearly, to your point, trying to take a bigger and pe- bigger piece of that as quickly as he can my question as we sort of float through questions here is is there is there a space for an for another is there another lane in this swimming pool or is is, it, is this a one lane swimming pool
3: yeah i think it depends very much on how DeSantis performs and how trump you know i think to use a sports analogy uh the plan for the other candidates is to hope that these guys post up and beat the hell out of each other, and that the the but that they can grab the rebound and uh, and head the other way. Yeah, the uh, John
2: Edwards two thousand four scenario. Yeah. Uh, now it didn't get him the nomination, got him on the ticket, but right going through the Iowa process and looking like the nice guy at the end, while everybody else was. Beating the living daylights out of each other really, really helped him.
3: Yeah, no, and someone's got Or someone, it seems to me, those early contests, they always are, but they're going to be really meaningful because can someone else find oxygen in some of those early contests? Can the DeSantis Trump thing get so intense? One of the things, right. I, not to steer this, uh, Robert. we can get back to this question. Uh, one thing that strikes me, and this was mentioned in reference to his book, like DeSantis wrote a book 10 something years ago, and at that time he was a you know libertarian, small government, humble government kind of guy. Now he's sort of like a right wing authoritarian. You know, Disney wants to say they don't like my policies, screw it, I'm gonna mess with them, right? In my state, by the way, he was married there at Disney World, so. Um, he obviously appreciates the importance of the institution. That uh, even though he's trying to... marriage or Disney. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't presume on the other thing. He seems his he, he seems very close. His wife apparently is very instrumental in his political very uh, political uh, thinking. But I do think one you know I'm wondering when people are going to start challenging Ron DeSantis here whether he can get away with actually campaigning under the cloak of being the governor of Florida, uh, and, and yet not be a candidate because there are shots to take, you know, the Ukraine, you, Ukraine is an example. I mean, he was one of the kind of really robust, we've got to arm Ukraine and so on guys. You heard him at the top and we have other sound. I'm not going to play it in which he, you know, he says we ought to be thinking closer to home and uh, all of that. Uh, and certainly this, he's not an advocate for humble government and libertarianism. Uh, now, p- one would argue that uh, gay rights, that abortion rights and so on are uh, consistent with libertarian libertarianism. He's no libertarian when it comes to those issues. I mean, he's retooled himself for the moment here. When is someone going to start taking shots at him?
2: That's the thing, and I think sometimes people forget, too, that he was in Congress for a while. Yes. Right? Like he didn't just miracle he didn't just come out of nowhere to be the governor. He was in Congress. He ran as a Tea Party candidate, was part of that movement as you're saying, which was a sort of retool of libertarianism. So there's a long record there and it looks as if that's where Donald Trump's going to go, which makes a whole lot of sense, which is rather than trying to outwoke him or, you know, call him names uh about, you know, meatball or Ron DeSantis. The more yeah. effective attack would be you're just another career politician. You, yeah. you know, you were, right. he was a JAG officer, l- lawyer, uh, so he has that military background. But for most of his adult life, he's been in politics. And as opposed to Donald Trump and his appeal has long been, you can't, you can call me a whole lot of things, but you can't call me establishment. You can't call me a typical politician. Yeah. This guy is a typical politician. And that's a pretty challenging moniker to overcome in a republican primary to be part of the political you
3: know establishment, whatever, yeah. establishment. <laughs> yeah 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 the bush endorsement you know i was gonna say it, yeah
1: ergo the text to jeb to uh ixnay on the endorsement
3: but robert <laughs> why why when when do democrats yeah start it seems to me that uh democrats should not be spectators in this no uh and that there should be some effort to um to, yeah. to 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 soften DeSantis up here, um, particularly because it seems to me, I don't, I have nobody said this to me, but it sure seems to me like Biden either wants Trump to be the nominee or he wants Trump to be around to destroy whoever is the nominee, right? And so, uh, you know, softening up DeSantis is important not only if not just yeah. to make him the if he is the nominee, but also to maybe help. Trump make him not be the nominee. Well, I, I think
1: what to your original question on when a Republican is going to take shots, uh, I, I'm surprised this this won't. Ex- I, I assume it will accelerate and they will begin to because you know particularly that question we asked is or I asked if there's another lane, somebody's going to have to knock one of these two off or create a lane for themselves in order to do that. If I'm the Democrats, I absolutely agree. I think you've got to uh, begin to make sure people understand. Uh, what they're getting because Amy started out by asking, and, and I wrote down as she was asking the question, you know, how do you make re, how do you make woke real for swing voters? Right. So, you know, you've got to, you got to build that wall and not let him get back over it for a general election. You've got to make sure people understand that what it takes to win that Republican primary, that move and that veer to the right. How do you make sure that, that he isn't allowed to get back? And how do you begin to color him? such that you drive his negatives up to the point where if it's Trump or DeSantis, you go in there in a much better place for a footing. I would start doing this now. The question I think for Democrats is whether or not uh, they can get somebody who can break through uh, to, to have voters listen to that. I mean, it's not yeah. usually it's used the DNC, but I don't think the DNC sort of carries that sort yeah. of weight as much anymore.
3: And it's not just it's not just. Um, that is one issue. And another issue is how you attack him in a way that's productive In, right. in the, at this point, you know, because if you attack him from the left, that only serves his project.
1: Exactly. One would hope that that you've got the, the party has done and is doing very extensive research on How to make sure? How to figure out what to illuminate, and how to be very, very, very disciplined about how you do it. This is not, I think, a project where uh, everything you're you're a hammer and everything is a nail. Right? That's not the way you're going to beat Ron DeSantis. I don't think that's the way you're going to beat any of these Republicans. You've got to have a very cogent message that you have the discipline to follow through on.
3: I do think that some of the answer lies within that record in the House. Yep. And uh, they will probably. uh, Undoubtedly. Yeah, I think a lot. There's a there's 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 gold in them hills. But let me uh, let, let me move on to Trump for a second. Amy, there was a very good piece in the Post in the last week about the things that Trump's team is doing beneath the surface. You know, the Republican Party, unlike the Democratic Party, a lot of the rules of this nominating process are determined at the state. Level, and this piece really dove deep into the fact that Trump is Trump's group. Unlike two thousand sixteen, Trump's group is really hip to this, and so they are they are you know talking, uh, going state by state, you know pushing caucuses, pushing conventions, closed primaries where he's more likely to win than open primaries, uh, making sure that the winner take all rules stay. In place, and he's got control over a lot of these uh, state organizations.
2: I thought that was the the, one of the most important pieces of really these last few months was that piece in the post. For those of us who are hacks, uh, uh, we can appreciate that. I think more than somebody who's looking for something that maybe is is a little more uh, salacious, um, but. This is the, the kind of blocking and tackling that you're right. Trump didn't have in 2016. It was sort of a s- slapped together kind of to team. Remember, he went through multiple campaign managers. You had yeah. Paul Manafort coming in at the last minute. So there wasn't a whole lot of forethought in that campaign. What he gained, of course, was through just his, you know, uh, uh, his presence and his ability as Robert mentioned earlier, just to show that he was a winner. Once he was a winner, people, once he started winning, people saw him as a winner. Now they understand the rules are as important as anything else. And I think that's what I'm going to be keeping track of as we go forward or how these states are deciding, okay, are we going to go proportional, winner take all? remember some of the states were doing, you could win a certain percent and still get delegates. The closed, the caucus. Convention, all of right. those things are going to matter as much, especially if, as we all agreed at the very beginning, that Trump has a ceiling. Let's call it thirty-five percent. Maybe he can mm-hmm. get up to forty percent. But if we know he has a ceiling, then his team's top priority—they got to make that. that
3: stand up. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I was really, really smart.
3: It was Michael Shear, uh, yep. I think was uh, who wrote yep. that piece. It was a. It was a uh, terrific piece. The other thing, Robert, uh, is, I mean, and I don't, I think DeSantis has done a brilliant job of positioning himself so far. I mean, I don't want to. He has. I don't want to minimize that. Uh, By the same token, as we said before, Trump still wields a tremendous amount of power. And, you know, I want you to listen to, I did this uh, Axe Files interview. It's going to go up Thursday uh, with Peter Meyer. You guys will remember the name. Peter Meyer was a freshman congressman who who days after arriving in the House, Republican from Michigan, voted to impeach the president. The president then set out to defeat him in a primary. He narrowly succeeded with some help from Democrats, I might say, I might add. Uh, Peter Meyer's a, a fellow at the Institute of Politics this quarter, and I sat down with him. And the thing you need to know, at, uh, to frame this clip, is that Peter is, and he acknowledged on the show, thinking about running for the Senate in Michigan for the open Senate seat, which we'll talk about more in a second. Listen to how he answers. When I asked him flat out, you voted to impeach Trump. Could you support him if he were the nominee of the party? Here's what he said. You voted no, to impeach it. him because he you, you felt that he— a violation of the oath of office yeah, action. You don't believe— Biden has disqualified himself by uh, not being faithful to his oath. do you, I think to the extent that he's capable of being faithful to the oath, he has tried. Um, I, there are.
1: Do you think he's violated the Constitution? I think some of its actions around um, acknowledging the illegality of actions. Now, granted, these were ones that maybe there was more public support around, but still pressing forward. Mm-hmm. I, I'm talking the uh, some of the actions around the OSHA vaccine mandate. Um, some of the, it's uh, sorry, there's an early one that's escaping me right now, but where it was, I mean- You it,
3: put those in the same category as- In terms of undermining- as, uh, election denial- Undermining as, the rule as, of as, law as, in the long term. Uh,
1: I, I think there might be category differences in, in the dramatic impact, I think, of what it does to erode <laughs> the long-term sustainability of rule of law in this country. Um, they are
3: both incredibly corrosive. Okay, that was painful, and there was there was four minutes of this. I just gave you a little bit, but you know,
1: painful by by painful. Do you mean that he's literally wrapped himself into the shape of a human pretzel? Because that was that was absolutely amazing.
3: But that was emblematic of the dilemma of the Republican Party, right? Because first of all, he has to get through a primary, Peter Meyer. That state just they they. They yeah. they rejected a candidate for state chair who was a flat out Trump guy election time, and they picked someone who is to the right of that person. Uh, that's the Republican Party in Michigan uh, today. So Peter has to get through a Republican primary in order to be the candidate. And yeah. you can't get through a Republican primary if you say no, I can't, I I'm not going to support Donald Trump. Uh, Instead, he's saying he, he is looking for rationale to say, well, I could, you know, if uh, so he doesn't, you know, it's it, Amy. I mean,
2: that's sure. You know what? All I could think of it as I was listening to that is "Boy, he sure sounds like he's going to be running for the Senate.
3: Well, that was my next question. I said, hey, you wouldn't be thinking of running for the Senate, are you? Uh,
2: you know, look, right now, a lot of the big names in Michigan have taken themselves out of the running. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty wide open field, but to that point, David, it's almost harder because then you say, all right, if, if the sort of traditional, what we, what are, what is left of establishment Republicans in Michigan are passing on this, then it only is likely that you're going to get somebody like a Tudor Dixon who's going to jump in, right? And trying to beat that person in a primary Is going to be really tough when you have a voting record that includes impeaching Donald Trump against other establishment Republicans, maybe. But
3: yeah, no, I think this is a dilemma that he's, you know, he's trying to navigate. And I don't know if it's navigable. Well, I don't know that. Yeah. Well, I I don't think he's
1: navigated himself on it. He sounded as if there were almost like two people in that interview trying to have this discussion with you, David. Where one was trying to remind the other, "Hey, remember you voted to impeach Trump," and then somehow the other one had had decided that by by suggesting that there should be a vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, that somehow that violated the Constitution, uh, and the and the oath of office is. I, I yeah, I don't, <laughs> the Peter Meyer campaign may have, uh, begun and ended in, in only a few minutes.
3: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yes, uh, I, I don't know if the campaign has ended, but the challenge is very clear. So on that race, you guys, uh, uh, Debbie Sabino's retiring open seat. Yeah. There were a whole lot of democratic names that surfaced that at first. Uh, but this week, uh, uh, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin announced, uh, and from uh, uh, the sort of Lansing and West area, uh, she's she won in a tough repu- uh, uh, district last time. Uh, she was thought to be very vulnerable, smart, savvy. Um, comes out of the national security world, worked in the Bush White House and the Obama White House. Um, is she going to have a serious primary? Uh, challenge and uh, how would you rate her chances the hackiest of all questions when you finish your answer is i'm
1: dying to know what the cook political rating is on oh, this senate yeah. race if uh, uh given her candidacy that is sort of the bible
3: isn't it
2: that yes. is thank you guys <laughs>
3: uh
2: you can go there right now and find out that we when this raise up we put this um in lane Dam. And uh, I think it stays there for yeah. uh, for the foreseeable future. So, two things we're waiting on, obviously, as we just discussed, who are the Republicans that get in? Now, it's been a long time since a Republican has won a Senate race. I think it's Spencer Abraham might have been yeah. the last. Yeah, I think in nineteen ninety four, the last Republican to win a Senate race. But again, I don't. Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't, especially. If as we have a competitive presidential. But Alyssa Slotkin really, I think, has, um, if not shored herself up to avoid a a primary challenge, at least it looks like against some of the most obvious rivals. Uh, They've all taken themselves out. So uh, again, I don't know how, we've got a ways to go, but she seems to have, she's in the driver's seat for that nomination and she's a tremendous fundraiser. My favorite story about her, and David, it came out in your interview with her on Ax Falls. You remember late, reading about this that her immigrant great grandfather, yes, right, invented ballpark franks. Yes, Oh, yeah. Now that that's a really the, I put that puts some mustard not, on <laughs> a
3: candidacy. Absolutely,
2: she yeah. may
1: have dropped um, that in her <laughs> announcement video just yesterday. She
2: did yes, drop she that did. in her announcement video. I always just it, just as a political geek. I just love little stories like that ab- about people. But she's a she's an extremely strong candidate. And, you know, for Republicans in that state, again, you could, if you were a Republican strategist, Republican quote-unquote establishment figure in the state of Michigan, Michigan, you look at 2022 and you say, okay, guys, well, we can do this again. We can run these kind of candidates who are way, way, way out of the mainstream and and lose by a significant amount, or we can put serious candidates up. And in Alyssa Slotkin's district, I think this is going to be really important as well. This is a still like it's a 50-50 district. I think yeah. Biden might have won it by half a point or something. So watching those primaries is going to tell us a lot too about yeah. just how effective Republicans will be at being able to win an open seat, which is of course easier than knocking off an incumbent, winning an open house race as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. The, what And it's exactly the reason I asked, right? The hacky question of, of what's the rating? Because I think it's fascinating. We think of, we think of, of Michigan. I think of Michigan as uh, still a swing state, but the, the, the sort of white. You worked for Sabino. Sabino, didn't you? Yeah. I was on the 2000 campaign when we beat Spence Abraham um, uh, yeah. just a couple of years ago, um, and so uh,
3: <laughs>
1: and and I I think that Slotkin is very I mean probably couldn't script a a better bio candidacy uh, for. For this time period, she's won in a really, as you said, I mean, really, really hard district. She gets how to win in really hard districts. If she almost or mostly clears the field that allows her to be a general election candidate uh, essentially yeah. from day 1 which will be huge and to your point i i'm i'm amazed in a place that we consider a swing state and and i know we've we've argued we've had arguments with brownstein on this about whether he's he's pulled michigan totally out of the idea of being a swing state i'm 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 not sure i'm there yet uh, given what we saw in twenty sixteen, yeah,
3: yeah, but they had a hell of a year in twenty 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 two was a
1: total wipeout. And, and to your point, Amy, they they nobody seems to be introspective in the Republican Party in Michigan. They seem to think, well, maybe we should just maybe we should do that a little bit harder and see if it comes out any better. And boy, I, I'm Although, amazed.
2: Uh, remember how close uh, the twenty twenty yeah right twenty twenty yeah. Senate race was. Yep. Gary Peters. I mean, it wasn't, he won, but yeah, John he got James, a lot closer. A and John James was a, was a very Who's strong candidate. Who's taking a candidate. pass
3: on this race.
2: Exactly. But the other thing, I, I think we have to be very careful about 2022 because I do think as we learned after 2018, there are a lot of Trump type voters who sat out 2018. I think there were a lot of Trump type voters who sat out 2022 who are going to show up in 2024. Now, with Trump on the top of the ticket would be more helpful.
3: Yeah, if Trump is on the top of the ticket. Hey, um, I I want to cover a couple uh, uh, more things here. Um, one is uh, real quick, Robert, because you and I talked about this offline. Yeah. This whole East Palestine issue. Uh, it was interesting, by the way, in that focus group in Michigan, in uh, in Peoria. I expected this issue to come up. Uh, and it did not. They were very interested in the China balloon. Uh, there was no mention of, of the uh, East Palestine story. But in Washington, the, the, this mm-hmm. has become sort of a sport. Uh, and yes. the president was, uh, you know, attacked for being in Ukraine and not East Palestine. Uh, Secretary Buttigieg, who is of course touted as a, you know, prince of the republic of the Democratic Party now under uh attack uh and it made me think about what you and i went through in 2010 the the oil leak in the gulf of mexico and you know the lesson that we learned was it doesn't matter if you're doing all the right things behind the scenes i mean as you know the president president obama was deeply deeply involved in all the sort of everything that should have been done was being done except one he did not go down there in a timely fashion and you know this was this became a a bigger thing because people yeah. were saying he he doesn't care he just yeah. he doesn't care so uh and you know Buttigieg also didn't go there not customary for transportation secretaries to go to scenes like this but do you think these guys made a mistake by waiting too long
1: Yeah, I think they did. I think they know they did. I think, you know, uh, Secretary Pete basically admitted as much in in an interview. I mean, look, there's uh, the lesson we learned, David, is I wonder if he was
3: told not to. I mean, wouldn't you if you were the White House, though, say, hey, get your ass down there?
1: Absolutely. You got to flood the zone. You've got and, and look, this is going to happen two or three more times on some issue during the next two years leading up to uh, leading up to the reelection campaign. And, and the bureaucracy has got to be very adroit at getting and understanding these issues, seeing them getting there, diffusing them over communicating, uh, on what you're doing. That was one of the challenges that we had. But David, I remember distinctly having this conversation after a briefing, walking into the, the Oval Office, just the president and I, and I said, you know, these reporters don't think you're mad about this. They don't think you're 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 pissed off. And he said, Well, I, I am mad. And you know, he never raises his voice when he says he's mad. And and I said, Well, you know, they need to see you they need to see your fist pounding the podium and they they need to see you down there. And I won't use the exact words I got in response to that, but he said, exactly what will that do, Gibbs, if I pound the podium? And I said, um, Did he it, offer to pound you instead? Well, I think I think that's what he had in mind. And, and he said, well, you know, exactly how much less oil is going to spill into the Gulf if I do that? And I said, none. Yeah. But you yeah. may give the people that are trying to solve it a little bit of the political space they need to do it. And I think that's what… The Biden administration has to do on this. They have to flood the zone. They have to make sure that people understand they care. Joe Biden is going to have to do what he does in Ukraine to keep that coalition together, uh, and it's going to be up to the the bureaucracy. In this case, the EPA, the National Transportation Safety Board, the Department of Transportation. And look, I, I get it, David. I, I you know I'm sure. Somebody probably looked at an org chart and said, "Well, the, the you know, here are all the agencies that come under right. the Department of Transportation and we shouldn't take yeah. the secretary get yeah. there. Just don't yeah. just don't overthink it." We, yeah, right. And play the but game. But is not it also
2: you guys had this uh, challenge with the oil spill and then we saw with the uh with the train derailment. It's the pictures that tell the story.
3: Yeah, right.
2: I mean, seeing that video of all the oil just blowing yeah. out, and then every time you see that picture,
3: somehow we had the technology, technology to get a camera to get the pictures a but million not to fix a, it. a mile down in yeah, the water yeah. to yeah. see yeah, the oil yeah. coming out, but yeah. we didn't have the technology to to fix it yeah
2: that's right it's it's why the Chinese balloon got so much attention. I mean, when my sixteen year old asked me about it, then you know that it's capturing America's attention because we still yeah. aren't visual learners right that you see. Yeah. Tanks turned over and plumes of smoke going over people's yeah. houses. That's going to well, hit you in a way that a just a, a, another event would have.
1: And you see dead fish and you see dead animals and people yeah. are coughing and they right. smell stuff. I mean, look, it, and, and then add the, the other complication to this too is you've got to be really strong and hard as we were on BP. They've got to be this on Norfolk Southern. At the same time, both BP and Norfolk Southern are the ones responsible for cleaning this up. Right, so there's a lot of kind of three dimensional chess here, but the, the you've got to be out well, there. Well, appearances
3: are really important, though. That's the that's the bottom line. Absolutely, you got you to look outraged. You got to look interested. You got to look like you're there, even if you're doing all yeah. the right things. The so last question on this, because I got to hit the Chicago mayor's race, which is today. Yes. Before we get to questions, just real quick answer from both of you: any any lasting damage to Biden any lasting damage to Buttigieg uh, from this, or will this just be because nobody was talking about the uh, the oil spill in the 2012 election? Uh, so, real quick, no, lasting damage to Biden? I, I think no. I, I don't.
1: It's hard to see. What about it. to Pete? Uh, to Pete, this is going to be an annoying thing that will pop up in stories about him for the next five years. Yes, it'll be. But but I will say this. He's not going to be judged on the first two weeks. He's going to be judged on the last two weeks of this. So Mm -hmm. there's plenty of time. I'd be shocked if if I was in that office, I'd be looking at a calendar, planning my next trip back to to see what's going on. That's what we ended up doing with the president. We took him down there two or three times to make sure. And it's important to make sure the bureaucracy knows there's somebody at that level watching.
2: Yeah. Here's how you'll know if it has damage on on Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg was the number one, I think a surrogate for Democratic candidates across the country in the last election because he came and everybody said, here's the guy who's going to bring you the money for infrastructure. If that starts to dry up, I think in terms of people asking him to come in, I think you will see that at least in the short term, it's having a political impact. Yeah. If he starts getting invited back to cut more ribbons on more bridges, then no.
1: And know this, and know that every Republican strategist knows exactly what Amy just said. And they may not think this is real, but if they think they can... Get a cut in underneath the eye on Pete. Yeah, yeah, they will do sure. it, and they will try to do it so that the most effective communicator doesn't pop up in that district.
3: Or yeah, something. yeah. No, I think that that's. I think that's right. Let Let's talk about the Chicago. That's thing. what I was going to talk about. I was. You have say, to talk I,
2: about it, David. You're the one who can tell us what's going to happen.
3: You're Mister Chicago Mayor. I have no freaking clue. Okay. The the, this, the one thing I everyone can predict is that Paul Vallis, who's a longtime. Uh, city bureaucrat and educational sure educational bureaucrat uh, uh, ran the C- Chicago schools, New Orleans schools, Philadelphia schools. Uh, he is going to be the first place finisher today. He won't get the fifty percent he needs to to be to be elected. Uh, the real question is who is going to be in the runoff with him, and will one of them be the the current mayor, Lori Lightfoot? She is bearing the burden of having governed through. The pandemic and all of the public safety right. concerns that arose, as lar- partly as a result of that, she's been sort of judged a failure on that by a lot of voters. Got a an approval rating, a unfavorable rating in the fifties, and a very unfavorable at forty nine. So that's very tough for an incumbent going into an election. Whether she can squeak in to a race with vows who has made public safety the non of his candidacy uh, we shall see there are nine candidates seven are black uh as is Lightfoot uh, uh one Hispanic chewy Garcia who's in the hunt uh, and uh the race is down to Garcia the mayor and a guy named Brandon Johnson who's a county commissioner big support from the uh, from the SC, uh, from the uh, Chicago Teachers, teachers Union here. for whom he's an organizer he's a paid organizer for them as well um and so you know it's not impossible that we could end up with a race between the FOP candidate the police union candidate Vallis and the teachers union candidate oh boy uh uh Johnson by the way the national backdrop of that will be
1: so many people will come in without any of the nuance and cover it as exactly that in a way that yeah. will be uh, will almost block out the sun. So David, we're we're gonna we've got to put you on the spot here, right? So we ask you a couple of different questions, starting with in your I'm a heart trained of hearts, professional, so you can't put me on the spot. I know, but uh, in your in your political strategist opinion, do you think Lori Lightfoot finishes in that top
3: two tonight? Having been trained as a analyst and commentator before the twenty twenty two election, I'm making no predictions, uh, but uh, <laughs> that's right. Because uh, I, because I, I know. But listen, we got a cop out going on here. I've said Johnson has the momentum, and it wouldn't sh- it wouldn't shock me if he uh, if he got in. She's got residual strength as a, as a mayor, but her base is is divided, and her progressive base Johnson is taking some of it. Garcia is taking some of it, and a lot of those lakefront liberals who may have supported her four years ago. Are really yeah. worried about crime, and Vallis is going to get that vote. So she may grind it out, but I wouldn't bet my uh, I wouldn't bet my life on that. It's going to be really interesting. And guys, last point on this: this could be so close for second place that we won't know until the last eligible write-in ba- uh, mail-in ballots uh, are counted, and they have up till March 14th to receive these ballots, as long as they're postmarked on Election Day. Uh, that would be three weeks before the uh, the uh, the final election on April fourth. That that could be a huge benefit to Paul Vallis, who otherwise is going to be pummeled for five weeks here. And uh, and so you know we we'll see. But it's really it's really an interesting race. It sounds like it sounds like you think that Lightfoot
1: finishes out of the top two. And so do you think <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to just go ahead and answer it for you. And, and you give, uh, you give the momentum to, I think that the surprising whoever, candidate whoever wins. Yeah, that would be Johnson. And if you, I mean, are you, how surprised are you that Chewy Garcia might finish out of the money as well?
3: Well, he, he still could win. He's had a stronger two weeks. He got in the race late. He had a lethargic start didn't raise money. Lori Lightfoot recognized that she would lose if she were in a runoff with Chewy Garcia and she wanted Vallis, and she spent six weeks running negative ads against Chewy Garcia that went unanswered because Garcia hadn't raised the money uh to respond. Uh so he began as the absolute front runner in this race. it, it would be uh it would be uh somewhat no it would be noteworthy if he didn't make uh, the runoff, but it's not if you if you're on the ground and you watch the slow start he got. And I'll just say this to me, he seems like the quarterback on a football team who knows that the defensive player has been offside. He's gotten a flag. So he's taking a shot at the end zone, knowing that the worst that happens to him is he goes back to Congress. And he likes being in Congress. Right. And so there isn't that sense of hunger in that campaign that you see in some of the other campaigns. But listen, I'm hungry to get to the questions that are great. Hungry to get out of seen. our
1: questions on the Chicago mayor's race. Well, Stand uh,
3: straight, brother.
1: It, email If you email us here, Murphy will cast one of his votes on your behalf later on today. Yes. Uh, Thank you
3: for doing that. He, if we don't have a Hacks on Tap, well, we don't have this hackneyed joke about people. Right on ineligible voters voting in Chicago, then we've completely missed the boat. I
1: wanted to both check that box for the podcast, but also to tell Murphy he owes me 50 bucks for saying that uh, <laughs> on uh, on this. Jeff, uh, hit the music. It's
3: Robert Gibbs, Andrew writes in, uh, what are some of the possible political impacts and implications of Kevin McCarthy giving Tucker Carlson the 43, thousand plus hours of January 6th capital security video footage and do you think other news organizations will eventually receive equal access to such tapes? Uh, it's a great question I think uh, a lot of the answer depends exactly on how Tucker
1: Carlson decides to use this tape. Uh, is you said 40,000 hours is going to take literally months and months and months if you wanted to watch it all. I'd be shocked if I know n- other news organizations have already appealed to be Uh, in this from a transparency standpoint uh i think it's a look i this is
3: this is Uh, i'm sure by the way let me just interrupt you to say i am sure that tucker will handle it with (laughs) with absolute even handedness probity uh and will want to scour every bit of it to see if he was maybe whether he was right or wrong when he called the whole insurrection a false flag operation
1: they don't call them fair and balanced for nothing, David. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's uh, so. I, I look. I think this is this is one of the deals that McCarthy has cut to be Speaker of the House. This is this is another one of these promises from to the base. Uh, it's it is what he's had to do to be the leader. Uh, I, I happen to think that anything that republicans do to bring up january 6th is a hugely bad idea for their success in elections i think 2022 Mm -hmm. proved that without a shadow of a doubt that questioning democracy is a is a dead bang loser uh when it comes to the ballot box and i think it's uh but
3: i think it's what you do if you're kevin mccarthy and you're just trying to do what you do to be speaker amy while we're at this we should note this we're talking about fox news there's this suit going on uh, between um, the uh, the voting machine company that was sl- uh, slurred, uh, slammed, I should say, by uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the word they're looking for is defamed, libeled by uh, Fox News. Um, and in all of this – in this lawsuit, we've seen all of these uh, – All of these uh, uh, testimony, all of this testimony from members of Fox leadership, including Rupert Murdoch, about the fact that they knew all along the whole thing was crap and that the story about the election being stolen was crap, but they had competitive concerns about Newsmax and others stealing their juice. Um, Is there any implications for this or does it matter to anybody? I mean, it's.
2: I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. I do want to say, and you guys know this very well. Voters are pretty cynical about cable news as it is, right? They're already in on the joke, and they think that it's it's part of this. I'll I'll tell you just in my experience, someone I know quite well who is uh, Republican would probably put himself in the establishment front. Uh, When I raise things like this, or if you were to raise something like this to him, he'd say, well, you know, I know, but I don't watch those guys, right? I don't watch the post, uh, 6 PM shows, post 7 PM shows. So that's the, that's the commentary. I watch the news news. And so, and Fox has done that pretty well by saying, look, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram, those Tucker, they are per, they are media personalities that come on after yeah. prime time or during prime time versus the hard news that you're going to watch. That used know.
3: to be that used to be a little more defensible than it is now. And even then, you know, uh, the, it it was uh, it was not. But I, I suspect. I guess maybe what I don't know that anybody's going to say. Man, this is shocking. I I just don't know if people will say that they, they, you know, Rupert Murdoch is in business and uh, this was just, it's like the Godfather, you know, it's just business, you know, Uh, sorry, democracy. It's just business, nothing personal. Uh, But uh, let's see here. Well, we see
1: too, you know, Murdoch yesterday admitted in, in, in a deposition that he showed Jared Kushner, Biden ads in 2020 that before they aired.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Again, there is sort of a supposition, at least among vo- not the hardcore Fox viewers, that Fox, you know, is a player. It's not just an it, it's a yeah. player on the field. And so this uh, would uh, would speak to that.
1: Let me read uh, Martha's question for okay. for Amy. Uh, I'm going to do this with the amount of uh, emotion that this deserves. This is Martha to Amy. What happened to the Democratic Party in Florida? Uh, it should have an exclamation mark. It seems the National Democratic Party has given up on us. What say you, Amy?
2: Yes, it does feel that way. Does it not? That after years and years and years of being in the center of the universe, Florida has dropped off the battleground map, and you know it's it's easy to look at the state party and blame the state party and say they don't raise enough money and they're not organized and and that could be part of it. But I think the reality for so many national Democrats, especially the donors, is they look at the state that has been, you know, close, but Democrats haven't been on the winning side of it since Obama in 2012. They lose statewide. Uh, They lose in good years, like 2018. They lose in not good years, um, like 2016. And it becomes just this, it's a big big investment um where it lost big in 2022 as well that's right you can get a lot more big bang for your buck if you say all right uh i have a hundred million dollars where should i spend it i think the the more interesting question to me too is what's going to happen with texas because in in 2020 this was going to be that this was going to be the turning point election and to be fair, Texas is actually moving more in the Democratic direction than Florida is moving in the Democratic direction. It's just that Texas has a longer way to go. And that's what's so hard about Florida is it looks so close, but it's actually a lot farther. You look at Texas, you say, well, that's still five points we got to make up versus two points. But which is the more robust
3: the question is: Are there going to be? Is there going to be a long-term effort to build infrastructure in these states? Because that's what it's going to uh, require. If you're sitting in a presidential campaign, you're making the calculation. That's exactly the calculation you made, Amy. Which is: Do I throw this money into Georgia? Uh, into Arizona, into North Carolina, maybe uh, into Michigan uh, you know, or, or Pennsylvania, certainly Wisconsin, or do because both those states have a huge price tag. But to combine both
1: of the, the the your answers and the states, both of you now have mentioned, I think Democrats have to go find another state. They have to go make a North Carolina work. We've talked about that for a long time. But Texas and, and Florida also happen to represent two of the fastest growing states in the country. And adding members of Congress means adding electoral votes and adding importance. And if you take, trust me, I, was in, I spent six months in Texas in 2002 and we were going to turn it blue the first time. So I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, apologies for not hopping back up on that horse right away. But I, I think you've got to figure out how to make sure that you have a good path uh, because if you take Florida and Texas off the board, it's a huge, huge number of electoral votes that's growing.
3: I agree. Uh, and again, you know, I think these are long-term projects, uh, in both states. You can't sort of show up at the end and, and, um, and sort of hope that it instantly happens for you. They, they need to, yeah. Let me ask you, uh, The last
1: question, which is a good one, Sean asks: I manage political campaigns, and I was wondering what your process is for developing campaign messages and slogans.
3: David, you have seven minutes to answer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, we don't have we don't have a lot of time here. So I just say this: I I think the most important thing is to understand who your candidate is and who your who uh, you know really understand. Who they are in an authentic way and what they have, what their comparative advantages over uh, the opponent on things that are fundamental to the decision that people are going to make. So it's a very research-driven process, uh, and it begins with biography of your candidate, the opposing candidate, and a real deep dive into what's going on in the area in which you're running. In terms of slogans, I've f- if you have a good message. And if it is a discernible message, then the slogan should be uh, derivative of that message. If you can't think of a slogan, you may not have a, a, a clear enough message. So I used to hate the slogan process, but it was important because if you, you couldn't boil down what you were all about into uh, a discernible phrase or word, uh, it it may mean that you haven't done rigorous, rigorous enough thinking about messages, but, uh, we've certainly, uh, we have to be rigorous about time. So, uh, I, I'm going to leave it there and I'm, I could do a whole 60 yes, minutes on that subject alone. Uh, I did do with Carl Rove, a master class where we talked about, uh, this highly recommend it. uh, as long as we're plugging, let's, uh, uh, again, plug the uh, yeah. Cook, Cook Report with Amy Walter, The uh, just a tremendous source of insights. Robert Gibbs on MSNBC, also a source of tremendous insights. And uh, wait, wait, who haven't I plugged here? We haven't plugged you, uh, who will be glued to the television later tonight yeah. to figure out
1: who is going to be in the top two. And I can only assure you that... Uh, one of the three hacks will be back. Two of the three hacks will be back next week to, uh, to
3: dissect what happens next. Amy, great to be with you. Robert, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Selling a little